Okay, good morning. This morning we're continuing our brand new series, uh, You're Welcome, based on our second Jubilee value, We Welcome Because God is Love. And let me tell you, this is an important series for us, because I think that being welcoming is one of our strengths as a church, isn't it? We know what it means to show hospitality, to have conversations, to make people feel at home. And that's something that was kind of clearly expressed this week at our prayer meeting, because we had this uh, plan that we put together. We were meeting a bit later this week, and we said, right, we're going to get straight on and pray at 8 o'clock. Okay? Half eight, we were still chatting, having coffee and tea and biscuits and hugging each other. We love to welcome, don't we, in this church? <laughs> and I'm sure we could all share examples of how we've been welcomed in Jubilee, whether it's been through Open Door, um, through Alpha, as a student, or being part of a big group as it was for me. Does anyone remember those big groups? Yeah. A few of you do, amazing. Um, but because we're such a welcoming church, it's important not to take this value for granted Okay? It can be easy to assume that someone else is doing the welcoming. It can be easy to kind of rest on your laurels a little bit. And, and that's why I'm glad that we're spending a few weeks going through this, uh, this series, exploring what it means to be welcoming people. Because this is so important. It's one of our strengths, but it's so important. And today I want to be focusing primarily on the amazing truth that Jesus welcomes the lost. And as Jubilee people, as this church, we should make it our priority to welcome the lost as well. So we're going to be looking at three amazing stories today from one of the most famous chapters in the whole Bible to demonstrate how Jesus loved the lost and what we can learn from that this morning. And they're all found in Luke 15, so you might want to start turning there now. There's a story of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son, sometimes known as a prodigal son. Before we read, though, what do we mean by lost? Well, let me give you a bit of context, all right? As we start Luke 15 in the Bible, we see the context of these three stories is that the Pharisees, the religious leaders at the time, were muttering about Jesus. They were saying, this man eats with sinners and welcomes them. As the message translation of the Bible puts it, Jesus was hanging around with those who had doubtful reputations and he was treating them like old friends. And I absolutely love that image of Jesus just hanging out with people who needed to hear him the most. Our Middle Eastern friends will understand uh, that eating is a massive part of that culture. To eat with someone, <laughs> to eat with someone was to show friendship, was to laugh together, was to enjoy life together, was to party together. And people who were religious wouldn't be seen dead with the sorts of people that Jesus was partying and enjoying life with. And there was Jesus laughing away. So you can kind of see why they were a little bit annoyed. But the point was that Jesus associated with sinners because he wanted to bring people considered beyond hope the good news of God's kingdom. He was reaching out to people who were beyond hope. So when I talk about lost people this morning um, and welcoming the lost, I'm going to be talking about people who feel hopeless, okay? People who need Jesus. This is what Bible teacher N.T. Wright says. He says, the sinners in the passage are a more general category, and people disagree who precisely they were. They may just have been people who were too poor to know the law properly or try and keep it. Certainly, they were people who were regarded by the self-appointed experts as hopelessly irreligious, out of touch with the demands that God had made on Israel through the law. 
The lost people Jesus was hanging out with were people who failed to meet the standard, people who failed to meet the grade set by religious people. Anyone ever felt like that? And do you know what? Jesus didn't care about his reputation. He didn't care about the accusations coming at him from the religious people at the time because to him, welcoming the lost and helping them find their purpose was the most important thing for him. And there's so much we can learn from that. What an example. So let's look at the first of these stories. If you've got your Bible, it's in Luke 15, um, 1 to 7. If not, it's going to be in the screen behind us. It's the uh, parable of the lost sheep. So now tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 of them? Doesn't he um, leave 99 in the open country and go out after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Love that story. So in this story, we see a picture of God as a shepherd going out of his way to bring home one lost sheep out of a hundred. Just think about that for a second, okay? This guy had a hundred sheep, okay? 99 of them are safe. So 99%, even I can do that maths, 99% of his sheep were fine. And he went out of his way to get the one sheep that was lost. The 1% of his flock that was lost, he went out to get it. As insignificant as that one sheep seemed, God goes after the 1%. If you've ever felt insignificant, just think about that for a second. God goes after the 1%. And I don't know what image you have in your head when you think about the shepherd going back out to look for that final sheep, but for me, I see someone going back out into the cold, dark, and dangerous wilderness, putting his own safety to one side in order to bring back just one sheep putting himself in danger and risking everything for this one sheep. You know, a couple of years ago, this story was used in a, a famous but controversial worship song which described God's love as reckless. Don't stone me, I'm just using it, okay? I'm not going to theologically unpack this term, Raj, calm down, okay? Um, I'm sorry, I'm going to be in trouble for that. Um, let's not focus on reckless, let's focus on a sentiment, okay? God seeks out the lost even though the wor- to the world, that just looks crazy and unjustified. All right? Uh, Corey Asprey, who wrote that song, describes it like this. Check out this quote. It's a long one, but it's a good one. All right? He says, when I use the phrase, the reckless love of God, I'm not saying that God himself is reckless. I am, however, saying that the way he loves is, in many regards, quite so. What I mean is this. He is utterly unconcerned with the consequences of his actions with regards to his own safety, comfort, and well-being. His love isn't crafty or slick. It's not cunning or crude. In fact, all things considered, it's quite childlike. And might I even suggest, sometimes even downright ridiculous. His love bankrupted heaven for you. His love doesn't consider himself first. His love isn't selfish or self-seeking. He doesn't wonder what he'll gain or lose by putting himself out there. 
His love leaves the 99 to find the one every time. I love that. If you don't like the word reckless, just ignore it. But think about that picture of God going absolutely out of his way in order to help the lost. Think about God doing everything in his power, seeking and searching in order to bring people back to him and then celebrating when he gets them. Does that change your response to the lost? Does that change your attitude towards those who don't know Jesus? Because let me tell you, we all know people who are lost. We all know people who need Jesus. My challenge to you is, do you go out of your way for them? Do you inconvenience your life by being part of theirs? Are you available to stand with them through life's difficulties, through life's ups and downs, sometimes frustratingly when you know that the answer for them is found in Jesus, but you just won't listen? Do you know reaching out to people, going after the lost, will inconvenience your life? It might mean less family time. It might mean less nights in front of the telly. It might even mean less nights at the gym. We don't go to the gym in this church, do we? But if we did, it would be less nights in the gym. But do you know what? Welcoming the lost is going to inconvenience your life, but it's so, so worth it. Look at God's love for the lost. Look at God's love in this story and follow suit. Go out of your way. Radically put yourself out there. Be reckless, all right, in your pursuit of people who need to know Jesus. Jubilee, we need to be like this shepherd and go out of our way completely to seek and search for and bring the lost back to Jesus. That is how we welcome. Our second story is this. It's a lost coin. Read with me again from verse 8 this time, okay? This is the second story. It's Jesus talking. He says, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully till she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, another amazing story there, again, looking at the individual. Just to provide a bit of context about that story here, okay? One silver coin would probably be the equivalent to around one day's wages at the time. So, a significant amount of money, yes, but not massive, okay? But ten silver coins also symbolised and would, would, would quite often be given as a gift to a couple on their wedding day, Okay? So, like, in the UK, we're given, like, posh dinner sets, aren't we, when we get married, or other sentimental things, okay? So, ten silver coins was given on a wedding day. So, it's not so much the monetary value of this coin, but the sentimental value of the, uh, what the coin represents that caused the woman to go out looking for it, okay? The value isn't as important as the sentimental value. And when we look at a story like that, it takes on a whole new meaning, Because let me tell you, we're valued in the same way by God. So you might look at your own life and think, I'm not that impressive. I don't have the best job. I'm not the nicest person. I'm not as confident or friendly as others. And you can easily write yourself off by trying to compare yourself and your value to that of others. But actually, God sees your worth as much more than that. Every lost person we come across, every person who needs Jesus, is valued highly by God. 
So let's not judge people, let's not judge ourselves by our earthly value. Let's welcome people regardless. Because remember that God's great love reaches out and finds people no matter how or why they got lost. Let that be a challenge to you. But that's not the main thing that stands out from this passage for, for me, from this parable. Um, think about the coin for a second, okay? Just think about this. What can coins do on their own? What can coins do? Nothing. It's a coin. It can't do anything. If a coin gets lost, it can't move. It can't come looking for you, can it? It can't say, here I am, I'm a coin, I'm lost. It can't do anything, okay? They literally just sit there waiting to be found. That's what coins do. Okay? You'll understand that if you've ever dropped a pound coin in your car. How annoying is that? They can't move. They can't do anything. They're just there. My point is this. The coin couldn't do anything. It wasn't looking to be found. It was contributing nothing on its own. But the woman still looked for it. Now, this isn't a perfect analogy. Don't unpick it theologically. But what I'll say is this. When we come across lost people who appear to be miles away from God who don't appear to be looking for him, who aren't open to the gospel, who are nowhere near being saved, do we give up? Or do we keep searching, like the lady in the passage? So for us to be a welcoming people means having perseverance when we go out of our way in seeking others. As frustrating as that can be. Maybe you've got family members who you've been praying for and trying to reach for years and you're having no luck at all. It can be tempting to give up, can't it? No, let me just share a personal story. I've been praying for my brother for years and years and years um, that he would come to know Jesus. And he's literally like the biggest closed book when it comes to faith. He's just not interested. Uh, I've been praying for him for years. A few weeks ago, he came to church on the baby Thanksgivings and I was preaching and I just had a feeling. I was like, right, this is it. This is going to be the day that my brother comes to know Jesus. I was so excited. Uh, I got up and I preached, and I was like, that's it. God's on his case. He's going to become a Christian. So I, I bounded over to him after, the, after I'd finished speaking. I said, Tony, what did you think? How did you find it? He went, morning was all right, but you were a bit preachy, weren't you? <laughs> a bit preachy? I'm a preacher. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Do, do we give up in that situation? Do I just say, okay, Tony, I'm going to stop praying for you now. Sorry, too preachy. No, I keep on going and I'll keep on praying for him for however many more years it'll take. Look, we can be tempted to give up. We can be tempted to say, look, let's stop looking out for these guys and go out for someone else. When actually we should be like the woman with the coin and continue looking, continue searching, continue praying, however frustrating that is. What we see in the story of the coin and the sheep is God going out of his way looking and searching for the lost. Jubilee, I've got some great news. We get to be part of that search party. We get to be part of that search party, going out and looking for the lost, seeking those who need Jesus. Let me ask you another question. Who are you surrounding yourself with? Who are you spending your time with? Is it Christians or is it the lost? We need a healthy balance, but you can't welcome the lost if you only spend your time with people who are saved. Just putting that one out there. Just a side point. All right. The point of these first two stories is that God cares about us. He cares about a personal relationship with us, and he'll go out of his way to seek and find us. 
That's the point of these first two stories. Do you know, this week I saw an amazing post on Twitter. Just check this out, all right? This is an atheism page describing Christianity perfectly. Okay, just check this out. Christianity, belief that one God created a universe 13.79 billion years old, 93 billion light years in diameter, where one light year equals approximately 6 trillion miles, consisting of over 200 galaxies, each containing an average of 200 billion stars, only to have a personal relationship with you. Are you joking me? Who needs to preach when we've got atheists, man? The point is, God cares about you. God cares about the lost, and we need to follow suit. He wants to know us, and that's just a little bit exciting, isn't it? Okay. The last story I want to look at, I won't read it because we've not got time, but it's one of the most famous stories in the whole Bible about the prodigal son, the lost son. And unlike the other two stories which show God out looking, this one shows a father waiting patiently for his son to come home, allowing his son to have free will. Let me summarize it for you really quickly. A father has two sons, and one day they'll be destined to inherit everything from their father. And the younger son didn't want to wait for his dad to die, so he goes and asks his dad for his inheritance straight away, essentially saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Just give me your money. The father agrees, and the son goes off to a distant land and squanders the money on wild living, partying, and all that sort of stuff. Everything uh, goes a bit wrong. He ends up penniless and finds himself working on a pig farm, so hungry that he actually wants to eat the pig's food. At that point, he comes up with some scheme about going back to his dad, saying, saying sorry and working as one of his dad's servants in order to have a home. Like literally tail between your legs type of stuff, going back to his dad. And as he goes back, broken, hopeless, and distraught to his dad, uh, his dad sees him coming, runs over to him, sprints up to him, wraps his arms around him, and gives him a massive hug, throws a massive party, and celebrates his son coming home. One of the most remarkable stories in the whole Bible. But what's the significance of it, though? Well, think back to the context of the whole chapter. People were asking why Jesus was eating with sinners and having these parties with people that were less than desirable. And Jesus illustrates these, way, these stories as a way of showing why he celebrates. Before we go on, it's important to notice something about this story as well. Okay? The son is sorry in this story. He's repentant. He comes back. And it's easy to read the other two stories and forget that God actually requires um, turning away from sin, repentance and saying sorry. God requires a change. Throughout this chapter, Jesus isn't saying that people that he was hanging out with could just stay as they were and be accepted in that way. Actually, sinners need to repent. Thankfully, though, Jesus' idea of repentance was very different to the religious people at the time. Their idea of repentance was follow a whole lot of rules. Jesus' idea of repentance was follow me. But just look at this story for a second, okay? Think about this son. I think in, in our lifetime, many of us will put ourselves in the shoes of that younger son. So we'll understand the gospel, we'll know that we can have access to God, we'll know that we can have a place in heaven, we know that we're not worthy but it doesn't matter because God will accept us, like all good things. But my worry is this, we believe that we can come back to God, we can find a place in heaven, but just like that son expect to be like one of the servants. 
That can be our attitude. As if we're saying, thank you, God, for your amazing grace, but actually, I'll just sneak into your kingdom by the skin of my teeth. I'll just be one of the servants. So we start living with that mindset. God won't use me. God won't delight in me. I'm not as good as some of those other Christians. I'm just part of the crowds over here. I'm just one of the servants. And we can live our whole Christian life like that. Accepted by God, forgiven by God, but living like a servant. But let's look at the story in more detail. See, the son makes this feeble attempt at coming back to his father. Like you can imagine the son going through his apology and his excuses in his head, um, begging for forgiveness, going around this story again and again in his head as he's walking back to his dad from a distant land. But what do we see? We see the son start to make his way home. And when he's a long distance away, when he's still far away, his dad sees him a long way off and runs, sprints to him and greets him. Like this is the most beautiful picture of fatherhood and the most amazing picture of God that you'll ever see. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you think you are. It doesn't matter what you think you deserve. When you come to him, um, he will make that run to you. He will hug you. He will love you. And he will accept you as his son because that's what you are. And that's great news, isn't it? What else? So, God isn't going to treat you as a servant. He's going to treat you as a son because that's what you are. Like he will put a robe on you and a ring on your finger and throw you a party. It doesn't matter what you think that you deserve. He is going to love you and accept you and celebrate your homecoming. Thank you for someone getting excited. He's going to celebrate the fact that you've put your trust in him. He's going to see you as he sees Jesus, holy, righteous, free from sin, accepted, forgiven. This is the message that we have to take to the world. This is the gospel that we've got to take to people. This is our story, our mandate that we can take to people. God will accept you. You can be loved. Are we taking that story? Are we taking a story about rules and regulations and meetings? I'm just saying, we've got an amazing gospel and a lot of us don't share it, including me sometimes. Why do we celebrate? Why was Jesus celebrating and hanging out with these sinners? Why is it causing for a party? It's not a book that I quote often, but a book of, uh, of Zephaniah in the Bible paints an amazing picture of God. It says, uh, Zephaniah 3.17, God will take great delight in you. His love, in his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. That's God talking about the Israelite people. That's God talking about his people coming back to him. When we come back to God, he delights in us. He sings over us. He celebrates over us. That is great news. I've told this story before, but I remember a few years back, Haley and I served on the uh, youth team at this, uh, at this event, this Christian event, and each morning we'd gather as a team and we'd unpack the night before how many kids became Christians, how many guys were healed, that sort of stuff. And in every morning meeting, we'd talk about people getting saved, and the guy leading the team would like jump up and down, whooping and cheering and clapping his hands, and the rest of the team would be looking at him like, you're weird. And I remember at the time thinking, is this showy? Is this weird? Or what? But then I'm thinking about it now. That, you know, that's biblical. Heaven rejoices over one person returning to him. So who are we to stand here and be like, five people saved on Alpha. <laughs> Four baptisms. <laughs> 300 people at our Christmas service. 
you know, why aren't we celebrating like God does? I'm talking to myself here. Please, I'm not rebuking you. I'm talking to myself. We need to celebrate in the same way that God celebrates. You know, there's a rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. I want it to be rejoicing in jubilee over one person who comes back to him. We need to be a people who are celebrating. We need to be people who are finding joy in salvation. In our own salvation, yes, but in other people's salvations as well. Do you know, God's doing amazing things in our church. We've got another full Alpha course. Another full Foundations course. You know, God's doing amazing things and we can celebrate that. That's all right. Heaven's celebrating. You know, tonight, who knows? There could be more people making commitments this evening and heaven will be celebrating. I'm excited about that. <laughs> like I heard a quote recently, which I found quite challenging. Um, it said, perhaps we would have more joy in our churches if we shared Jesus' love and concern for the lost, diligently seeking them and rejoicing when they come to the Saviour. And I'm challenged by that because I want us to be a church that's joyful. Anyone who knows me knows that I like to be happy. But what if we can find joy in seeing other people saved? What if that's what brings celebration on our Sunday mornings? What if that's what leads to conga lines and flags and banners and dancing on Sunday mornings? We need to find rejoicing in salvation. Look, we're not going to respond this morning, guys, because the response is coming tomorrow morning for each of us. All right? I just want to challenge you guys and challenge myself to be people who welcome the lost. And welcome them in a fresh reminder about how God cares for them. I want us to go absolutely out of our way for people. I want us to seek and search for them. Uh, can I say be a little bit reckless in our actions towards trying to get people to know Jesus? Let's not judge people by our worldly worth. Let's see people as God sees them. Let's not give up on people when they seem far away. And let's take that amazing, glorious gospel message to people. Let's take them that amazing message that they can be um, accepted and loved by their Father. If the band could come up, that would be great. We're not going to have a response this morning, but you might be sitting here this morning and you've heard this amazing gospel, but you're not yet sure that you would consider yourself to be a Christian. You might be feeling a bit like that son in a story and thinking... You want to come back to God, you want to be in a relationship with him, you want to be a son or daughter, but you're not really sure how to do it. Well, let me tell you, you can respond this morning. If you've never given your life to Jesus and you've never, you know, made that step to become a Christian, you can do that this morning. I'm not going to make a big thing of it, just chat to the person you came with, I'll come and speak to me, I'm going to be at the front, all right, I'll just be at the side. Um, So as we sing, if you want to make that decision to come and know Jesus, then you can do it this morning and heaven will rejoice and I might also jump up and down and clap, okay. Um, I want to just encourage you, you can be a son and daughter this morning, you can be loved and forgiven and accepted because actually um, God goes out of his way looking for you. Why don't we stand? Lord, I thank you so much for this story, Lord Jesus. I thank you so much for your amazing love, Lord, that searches for the lost, that cares for the lost, that doesn't give up on the lost. I thank you so much for your amazing gospel of grace. It is not about rules and following procedures, but it's about finding a relationship with the Father in heaven. And I want to pray for us as a church. Would we be people who are excited about salvation again, Lord Jesus? 
Would we be going out of our way to see people saved, to see people come to know you, God? Would we put ourselves out there in our relationships with others, God? Getting into other people's lives, chatting to them, sharing the gospel with them, God? Would you give us perseverance not to give up on people when they seem far away, Lord? And I pray, Lord, over the coming weeks and months, will we see many, many more people come to know you and be added into your kingdom, Lord, because that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for this morning, and we just worship you now, Lord. Amen. Let's sing.